All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 496. Jason Lingren is with me and Mike Williams, or better known sometimes as Sage of Quay, uh, has joined us. We're going to talk about music again. Uh, we feel like we've pretty much beat the Beatles. Uh, that's a bit of a dead horse. We may mention a couple things to put a bow tie on that, but we're going to broaden out into music in general. And I'm going to introduce the guys. And I'm going to bring up the charade that just happened with the band Kiss. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a rather hot good morning. And welcome back, Mike. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me back. So I don't want to come off like a gossip. That's not why I'm bringing up what I'm bringing up here. The tone and tenor of this is to kind of indicate to people what's been done and how culture has been shaped and you know how music was basically used as a tool, uh, an agenda, if you will. But the band Kiss, who has apparently said for the fifth time this is their last tour, I actually believe them now, they're getting kind of old, they insulted one of the original members of the band on Howard Stern, and he threatened that if he didn't get an apology, he was going to drop all this dirt. And I had called Jason, and I laughed. I said, wouldn't it be funny if Ace Freely from Kiss openly admitted all the things that we've been telling you have are true about the music we grew up with and love? And it turns out that I am reasonably sure he got a phone call that basically said, sit down and shut up or else, which is interesting because you could tell by the way he said things, he was a little worried about the repercussions because his magical papers were in a safe deposit box, like a dead key, right? If anything happens to me, he said, he'll release it to the AP, you know, to everybody. And I'm just bringing it up because it appears to me, this whole thing that has just happened that this organization is still protecting its secrets and has no intention of letting something like that happen. I mean, do either you want to comment on this kind of gossipy observation? Well, it doesn't surprise me at all, Crow. These antics as far as backing tracks and lip syncing and offstage, backstage musicians and singers has been going on since the very beginning. So, uh, you know, more and more information is coming out now. Um, in fact, it was one of the guys from Twisted Sister uh, this goes back maybe two or three weeks ago, and he actually came out. He's doing, I think he's doing managing and producing these days. And he talked about the lip syncing that Kiss does on stage. And what folks have to come to grips with is that's how it's done because the music industry is entertainment and there's big money involved. And uh, they're not going to take a risk that a show is going to fall flat on its face or the vocalists or the singers for that night are not up to speed or the playing is not where it needs to be. So, you know, they have all of these, these uh, protective measures in place for lack of a better term to make sure that the show goes off um, without a hitch. So, you know, this is something you, you know, Jason knows that I know that's been going on for a very long time, but to the average, you know, Joe Blow, and Joe Q public, they have no idea. They think when they go to a show that what they're hearing is actually the band playing. Now, there are bands that, that don't use backing tracks and, uh, and uh, offstage musicians, but plenty of them do. So um, the point is, this is no surprise to me that this is coming out. A lot of this stuff is coming out now, in fact. You know, what's, what's interesting is when we did the last show with you, we actually got a couple contacts about people who had met doubles from big bands. 
And we opted not to pursue it for a couple reasons, partially because we kind of proved uh, that Paul was a swap and anyone in their mind can put together a personage that well-known can be swapped, then come on, you know, this is going on. It was a drummer. And I guess I won't say more than that, Jason, probably good practice not to, but of all the bands, Kiss would be easy to double because they wear makeup much easier than most places. But what's interesting about D Snyder uh, he's kind of from a kitsch band, Twisted Sister, but they they had their they were sizable back in the day. They had a following, and they kind of still do. I know they've made their Christmas albums, which is kind of like the writing on the wall. But he showed up at Congress, right? Remember back in the day, he showed up to face down Congress on censorship. So it's interesting that he's still speaking out. He's had a lot of radio shows, but I'm of a mind, and I may look into this, and we maybe will put together something when we're well past 500 episodes i am of a mind kiss never would have been if they hadn't had every support possible it was one of the first bands i was telling jason actually i I think i misspoke jason my first band was or my first album that i had in my possession was a beach boys album the second album was deep purple made in japan the third album was a kiss album And knowing the history of that band, I think this is a classic case of these guys were intended to go the distance and they got the backing they needed to get. In other words, had they been just regular guys on the street, they would have fallen by the wayside the amount of time it took them to to find traction. And I don't know if either of you feel that way, but I think I could probably demonstrate it if I did due diligence. Well, Kiss's songwriting isn't really that great. Let's just be honest about that. Now, Kiss definitely had the machine behind them. That was the beginning of the uh, the overt Satanism that was being presented on stage. So, um, and you know, to your point about doubles, Crow, I had a person contact me going back a number of years ago. Maybe it was around three or four years ago, and uh, this person told me that they were uh, addressed or a discussion was had with them on two separate occasions in two different cities. And um, he looks a lot like, quote, Paul McCartney or Billy Shears. And I know this because he sent me a picture. And from a starting point to create a double, he was a very good starting point. And he told me he was in one city. I guess he was on vacation with his wife. And somebody came up to him and said, hey, you know, you'd make a good double for Paul McCartney. And then the guy said to him, say something. So he had a, he has a Southern accent. So he said, well, they'd have to do something with the accent, right? It was very peculiar. So that was one situation. And then he told me that he was in another city traveling and somebody else came up to him with the same exact comments. So we can look at it as coincidence or we can look at it and say that there's a possibility that they're scouting for doubles. And um, like I said, he sent me a picture of himself and I looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, I mean, he would be a, a good person as far as his physical appearance, the way his, his face structure is and all that stuff. Uh, he, he's a great candidate to start creating a double. I've never, I never shown the picture because out of respect and privacy for the, for the gentleman, but right. uh but this is how, you know, this is, I think, how it works. Uh, they're out there scouting and they're looking for 
uh, individuals and people that'll play into the uh, into the theatrics. You know, this, there's another aspect to this we should point out. So often, these little tricks are put right out into the public consciousness, and it's done in clever ways where we pretty much just act like it's you know par for the course. Nobody thinks twice. Think of the old. You're old enough, Mike. Think of uh, Mission Impossible. One of the big premises in that movie was, or in that television show that started in black and white, if I'm not mistaken, is they're having a problem with a country leader. So they go in and they drug them and they take them out and they replace them. And it's often a member of the team. And it was interesting the way they did it because at the end, you know, they're using the same actor, but they're implying that the agent now has a prosthetic on his face and a voice device so that it's all spot on they were showing this back in the 60s and now i realize why i mean what do you think do you remember that show where they were showing this all the time yeah yeah it goes way back we can go back and take a look at stalin and it's well documented now how many doubles he had there's a very interesting conspiracy out there with regard to jimmy carter that carter was swapped out i think by the time he got two years into his term, his hair was being parted on, you know, the opposite side and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, it just goes on and it's very difficult for people to get their heads wrapped around because, you know, folks don't live their life like that. So they go about doing whatever they do, go to work, keep a roof over their head, take care of their children and all that stuff. But the the machinery behind the curtain, uh, the stuff that they do, the average person has no concept. No, you know, it's the reason for conversations like this, because this is how we get fooled. Everyone loves music, right? Do you know anyone who doesn't like music? And what's interesting about music is when you dissect how it's been delivered in this country, you can see how it's targeted. Like if you go to certain places down South, there will be different radio stations. This will be a country Western place or a country music place, you go to another place and you can see how it's been segmented, almost like red and blue, almost like the political thing. And you can also see easily, we've covered it, how a decade comes to an end and the whole flavor and sense. And that's a weird thing because since we passed the year 2000, I don't know about you, Mike, I don't know about you, Jason, but back in the 1900s, every time a decade was coming to an end, I could feel it. And when we got into the new decade, you could sense that things were different now. The 80s had ended, you know, the things are different. But since we have crossed the threshold of 2000, I haven't even noticed, or nor could I point out why the first 10 years of 2000 is somehow peculiar culturally to the next. And someone might say it's because you're old, Crow, but I mean, do you guys have the same, same idea where it doesn't feel like decades are the same as they used to be? The 90s seems to be the last of the original decades as far as modern culture, especially pop culture. It seems like just there's nothing all that identifiable. I mean, maybe if you got really picky about like certain ways with jeans and things like that, but nothing like the 60s really looks like the 60s, which does not look like the 80s, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you notice it? Do you feel the decade division in the 2000s, Mike? No, I absolutely do. You go back to the... No, I mean, since 2000, I'm saying prior to 2000, let me just say it that way, I see a clear delineation between the decades. So to me, this is social engineering. This is homogenization. 
what you will notice, and I always use the example of cars back in the 60s, every color car you could imagine, when a Challenger came out and it was successful, the other companies would have their muscle car that went against it. They'd be quite different. As a matter of fact, sometimes even unique colors would come with the car. That has gone away. Now, when you see a BMW of a certain SUV class and compare it to a Hyundai or, or other, they look very similar and the colors have been just muted down to not that many options. This is social engineering. And I think that's what we are seeing. As a matter of fact, here's one for you. I'm going to ask you both because you're both musicians. You're both better musicians than I am. Can you remember the last decade when key changes in popular music that you might hear on the radio or that's being sold typically as current music, when key changes were a part of the popular music last decade? What do you think, Mike? Well, the last decade has been just a, a miserable experience as far as I'm concerned with music. And it's all, in my opinion, very mechanical. So you're not going to have a lot of key changes and a lot of creativity like that in the music. They're not interested in creativity anymore. Right. What they're interested in is creating music that has a hypnotic uh, essence to it and um, is displaying and putting forth and normalizing their agenda. So as an example, what I mean by that is if we take a look at uh, these dance routines and these displays like at uh, halftime and all that stuff with football, it's all ritualistic. So in my mind, that's where they're at right now. They're, They're no longer interested in really good, solid songwriting anymore because the good, the good songwriting was something they had to do going back, starting in, you know, the fifties, going into the 1960s, especially in order to create the foundation that they were going to build upon, right? So that's what they always do. They always create a foundation. And that foundation uh, is built based upon a broad acceptance of what Tavistock and the Frankfurt School and CIA uh, expect or anticipate is going to be accepted on a, on a broad, from a broad perspective. Then from there, they move forward and they begin to make changes. And you're not hearing what you used to hear anymore. The music is getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not intended anymore to be a really a listening experience. It's it's really intended to be a social engineering initiative or a social engineering project that is based in sound, frequency, and vibration. Which rap underscores. I exactly. mean, a, a lot of rap doesn't even fit the definition of music because melody and harmony and other things, if you look up the definition, maybe you would call it poetry to a beat if i want to be generous here comes the emails crow again yeah the emails will come i mean you know i'm sorry i badmouth my own music uh, i know what it was it was social engineering the difference is is that way back when i was young and very into music it was at least a little bit musical and actually less so than the prior decades you know you had big bands every person on that stage read music had new music theory but i was going to mention Jason, if you had to guess, last decade where popular music commonly had key changes, what would you say? The 80s. 
well, you're not far, uh, the 90s, but it was diminished from the 80s. And so this underscores the point that Mike just made. The diversity, the complexity that music can have has been on a steady down trajectory as we came into the 80s and rock and roll was starting to burn itself out and what they like to call hair bands. It became, I don't know, conveyor belt music. And it's worse now, right? It is. It's very hypnotic. But can you imagine almost 30 years now of popular music without much key change? Uh, It's crazy to think about. And that kind of proves what music is used for uh, in in social agenda terms. So we're at the point where the music now is disposable. There's nothing coming out for the most part that's on pop radio. And when you think about what pop is today compared to what pop was in the 60s, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones that was pop music back then. The Who, like all those big bands, that was pop music then. Today, this computerized garbage with these ridiculous uh, characters that they invent to to center it on, I mean, this stuff won't be remembered 20 years from now. It's It's computerized, quantized to death. It's too perfect. And it just sounds ludicrous, really. As a matter of fact, it, it sounds so bad that if you take old stuff, and I've listened to people do this on YouTube videos. If you take, say, like Boston, where that singer, I think his name was Brad Delp, and you throw it in Auto-Tune or Melodyne, one of those pitch correction softwares, and do it the way they do it now, it doesn't sound right. It's, It's too good, the naturalness is removed, and it just loses its humanity. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jason. It loses its humanity. There's no longer a human element to it anymore. That's the thing, you know, um, you go back to the, you know, to the older days, going back to the sixties and seventies, even, you know, in my mind, even to the eighties, there was still a lot of human input into the music that you were hearing. And today it's this very digitized, sterile sound. And you're absolutely right with regard to auto-tune and melodyne. I have a, a friend of mine who is a, uh, he's a sound engineer. And he's been in the business for a long time. And he was telling me, now, I don't use Melodyne. And uh, I just, I do everything organically. When you listen to one of my songs, that's me, you know. But he was saying that uh, the technology has gotten to the point where if you play an E chord, an open E chord uh, out of tune, that, you know, the software packages like Melodyne will correct it and put it into perfect tune. So you have to think to yourself, well, okay, what's that all about? And uh, what it's all about is it's, it's all part, it's all tied into the technocracy. It's all about everything is going to be technology-based, even your listening experience. Even something as simple as listening to music is just going to be bastardized by the technology. Soul removed. Yes. Spirit removed. Yeah. Can you imagine listening to some of the old classic Zeppelin, which tends to hold up over the decades, put through Melodyne? I imagine it wouldn't even be listenable, right? Well, the the natural, the little variations that someone like a like a singer like Robert Plant, the last thing you'd want to do is take that out. Even the Beatles doing a lot of those live harmonies they do when they would double and triple their vocals, uh, they'd stand around one mic together, and of course, it's not one hundred percent perfect. But it sounds thick because it's natural people doing real vocal tracks. Same thing with Queen. They would do, like, I think it was like three sets of three or four 
where the three out of the four members were singers. That's how they got that giant operatic sound. And then they'd mix all that together. So you had like 12 or 16 voices or something like that going on. You don't do that anymore. People just layer it and then throw it in the software and boom. Sometimes they don't even do that. Sometimes they're so lazy, they just duplicate tracks. And I've played around and done it and I don't like the way it sounds, but you can just duplicate the main track and then just create harmonies off of that. So of course you have the same exact line uh, sung in the exact same way that's been pitch corrected and had the life edited out of it. And then you're duplicating that and just putting in a different key. And it just sounds like a robot singing to a robot. Right. You know, I don't know if you guys are of a mind like I am, but I don't remember how long ago. It was a long time ago when I realized that I knew Paul had been swapped and that I began to realize that the Beatles is not what I once thought they were. With the work of people like you, Mike, and others, when you realize the scope of what a put-up that was, it was basically, if you want to be honest, it was basically put together to be a social engineering apparatus. It was to deliver and program agenda. And when you know that's occurred and you come across the level at which things were done, then you can only move forward assuming that it's been done in other places. How can you not? Right. Once you once you perfect a trick like that, or are you going to accept that it happened once? Uh, I'm not. And so I started to look around years ago at the field of music, and I began to identify bands that, in my mind, I think were complete constructs. And I want to get your guys' point of view. Um, I have not done the due diligence to back up what I'm going to say further than I have a very good intuition. And there are points along the way with things that I've seen that really back up what my intuition is telling me is true. Bands like Leonard Skinner, to me, that band's a put up. Kiss never would have made it had they had not had the full weight of intention and support put behind them. There are a number that I think we could say. And then you start thinking of bands like The Who. And I think it is clear as a bell that those big British bands were all agenda bands. So when we come down the line, what do you guys think? Are any of those big bands that we all grew up loving, are they free of anything that we covered when we started with the Beatles? As a, you know, basically this is a band as a social agenda tool. It's why it's here. It's why we made it. Go ahead, Jason, you go first. So the thing I've noticed being into music for many, many years is you don't get anywhere without knowing anyone. And when you're super young, late teens and early 20s, I've had this discussion with a good friend of mine who I've been in and out of bands with, played with for, for many years. You don't know jack shit and you just, you're so green. And that if you don't have someone taking you by the hand to help guide you, because this is the conversation we've had multiple times we were trying to do all this stuff, and, and we had raw talent, and we had the gusto to want to do it, but we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And nobody who was older and experienced was bothering to say, hey, maybe you should just try it like this or try it like that. Even so far as paying for studio time, we didn't know any better, and we were just letting them throw an SM57 up on a guitar cabinet, and that's it. And nothing about layering and, and all the stuff that makes things sound like a professional production. No one gave a shit to be blunt. So... For these bands to have gotten as far as they did in the early days, they had to have had people guiding them because there's no way that they knew what they were doing, especially when you're going all the way back to the 60s when this stuff was new and people really didn't know what they were talking about. Well, when Mike, you're about to answer, let me, lay, let me layer this on top as you respond here. 
in your mind is like you've heard the story the young girl the young boy going to go to hollywood and meet their fame and fortune that's the example is it even possible is it even possible to go find fame and fortune if you're at that level to to make the top of the pops if you're not knighted in somehow anyhow go ahead yeah no that's a good point it's a good setup crow because the way i have deducted that it works is We've got three tiers, if you will. So the first tier would be those musicians that make up bands or as an individual artist that are bloodline connected into the controlling system, into the pyramid of power. These would be bands and uh, singers and artists that um, they're going to see very, very significant and prominent success and fame because they're bloodline they're in the system so they're going to be moved along a lot of money is going to be put behind them to uh, to make sure that they get to where the social scientists want them to be then you have those that are not bloodline connected but they are they are in secret societies freemasonry as an example we'll just use that as the umbrella of secret society and they are also moved along because they're going to promote the agenda. So we have the first tier, which is their bloodline, like Billy's bloodline. David Crosby was bloodline. Uh, we can go, you know, can name a bunch of them. And just by the sheer fact that uh, they have that type of connection, you know, it, it's assured that they're going to push the agenda forward. They're going to do what needs to get done. And then the second tier would be those that are in secret societies, regardless of what degree they're at. But, you know, the higher degrees they are in the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, the more they're going to be, uh, the controllers are going to be assured that they're going to cooperate and push the agenda. So, you know, these bands are also going to have money put behind them. And then you have this third tier. And this third tier are artists, bands that are not in secret societies and they are not in the pyramid of power. However, they have resources or they have skills and talents that have been identified by the controllers that can be leveraged. Can you give an example of what that level a band might be that you view at that level? Oh, uh, let me see. Um, I would think let, uh, let's, let's take a look at uh, somebody like uh, Britney Spears as an example. Okay. I'll just use her as an example. Okay. Okay. Katy Perry is another. Performers. Performers. Yes, performers. And they're brought in because they can be shaped. They're groomed. They're handled. Now, were they groomed and handled prior to winding up on the radar, Tavistock's radar or whatever social scientists' radar? I don't know. We can debate that till the cows come home. Well, some of these people were musketeers. So what was going on there? Exactly. Exactly. There's so the talent pool, right? Right. So that's right. So think of it exactly right, Crow. There's a talent pool. There's a pool of resources that are out there. And the controllers are always scouring it. And if they can make something of somebody, if they're going to fit the mold or the role of the next genre of music that they're going to put out and they're going to bombard the public with, they bring them in. But these types they typically don't have a very long shelf life. They're used for a moment in time, and then they're just discarded. I'm trying to think of an example, uh, 
right off the top of my head right now. But what about the the young African-American girl who was in a vampire movie, got really big, and then cashed it on a plane takeoff? Aja, what, do you know who I'm talking about, anybody? Aaliyah. <laughs> Aja? Aaliyah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so we have these, so we have these, these layers. This is what I have identified. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the controllers are, they're very, they're very creative and, uh, their system is very sophisticated. And so, you know, they're, they're pulling from, from different pools of resources to be able to implement their agenda via the music industry and the entertainment industry. Because what I'm talking about now is not just music, but it's also in the entertainment industry. If we take a look at Hollywood as an example. So, yeah, so the, the bands that are really, really big, you know, they're in it. I mean, they're in it because uh, they're actually tied into it from either a bloodline or from a brotherhood secret society perspective. And then the third tier are just those that they're bringing in and, and they're using them. They're just using and abusing them. You know, just, they're just, they just happen to be good tools at the moment. And as soon as that tool is no longer useful, then... They get discarded. Even bands that really maybe are not aware of the agenda, and then they get signed to a major label, we have to remember that it's not just about the music, but it's also the symbolism that comes along with it. So the album jacket will have all types of Illuminati symbolism on the album jackets. And the band may not even be aware of what that symbolism means. They just came in and they recorded their tracks. And But the way the record is packaged. And there are so many stories about songwriters and bands that have come in who got signed to a label. And, um, you know, their songs got, their songs got altered. Their songs got changed. changed. So to, to, in order to fit what a producer deemed needed to get done in order to make that song, quote, marketable, which also includes, by the way, that if an original band member was laid down the recorded track, let's say the guitar track, later on, a producer will bring in a ringer, a hired gun, and redo the guitar tracks or the bass track or the drumming. You know, so there's all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And the point I'm trying to make without getting too long-winded here is, I believe, you know, there are there are bands and there are artists that are not immersed in the agenda. They may not even be really aware of it, but they're still manipulated based upon how the songs are put together, how it's packaged and how it's presented when they go out and they play live as an example, like the whole stage presentation will have pyramids on it and eyes on it, you know, uh, all seeing eyes. I hope I'm making sense. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to bring up some huge points based on the comments the two of you have just made. First of all, the idea of the throwaway people. Look at Britney Spears. Good example. Look what happened to the poor girl. She right. lost her damn mind. Whether that was drugs or more, I think it was more. And the reason I think it was more is because of how the entertainment community felt sorry for her and swept in to try to be around her. But here's the thing about music like that, which is throwaway music. And by the way, you're not going to find key changes for the most part. It's been dumbed down, uh, which also dumbed down music has a dumbing down effect. 
just to be brutally honest about it. There's a thing called nostalgia programming that I first brought up with Jason. I think it was episode 76 moments before my YouTube channel was deleted because we told the truth about Mandalay Bay and the dark magic that was going on there based on Macbeth and the three witches. Nostalgia programming dictates some of the following things, at least what I am aware of. There's probably a lot that I'll never be aware of. When you're 13 or 12 and you love Britney Spears, when you become 40 and you haven't heard that music in a long time and you do, that will sweep you right back to that childhood, to those pleasant memories. Matters not the quality of the music. It's just that the music serves as that magical smell you remember when you were young, that magical song, that magical time, your first kiss, and Britney happened to be on the radio. That nostalgia programming is among some of the strongest programming. So I want to make the point that even in so-called throwaway music, its day is not done when they're not recording anymore. In 20 or 30 years, the nostalgia programming abilities of that are going to be brought back on that generation. And to Mike's point about the packaging, I will just simply briefly bring up a thing called sigils. Um, The packaging matters. Geometry has energy, but if anyone wants to take a look at sigils, you can look it up on your own time. It's a little bit like Dr. Emoto embedding intent into water. That's basically one aspect of what a sigil is. What is a sigil? It's a shape. One of the ways you make a sigil, just to make the point, is you come up with a sentence of what you want to accomplish. Then you remove all the vowels, any of the doubled consonants, and you make basically a logo. That's one of the simplest ways to do it. And you embed your intent and the meaning from the sentence that initially served as the foundation. You can find this on almost any album ever made in one shape or form of a logo or something else. But guys, I want to bring up the dead ringer here. I want to bring up Super Tramp. When I was in the 80s, I used to tell people Super Tramp is such an underrated band, such a great band. They're using interesting instruments. They're they're not a carbon copy. You know, you're not just hearing the same 12-bar blues you've heard to death. Um, But what we know about Super Tramp now underwrites what we're pointing out. On Breakfast in America, and words have meaning, they titled a, a track and an album, Breakfast in America. If you look at the artwork and you turn it backwards or look at it in a mirror, it says 9-11 right in the heading. And there's New York City has put been put together. In other words, they're pre-shadowing something like 22 years. I think it's the Master Mason building number. I forget, but I think it's 22 years before the fact they're preluding uh, the 9-11 attacks. Now, if you take that band apart, you will find that first, one of the stories goes that some mysterious figure paid them a million dollars to get together. They went out on tour. It was unsuccessful. So they pulled them back and they put them through boot camp. And that's how they finally got them on the road making money. Uh, If you go look at where their albums were recorded, it's in old Masonic temples that had since been turned into recording studios. My point is is that Super Tramp is case and point for what we're talking about. And how can anyone listen to that band now knowing that their album cover preluded the event that tumbled us for good? The reason we are where we are now is because that event occurred. 
that is the beginning of the open fall of America. And for anyone who's not quite caught up, we are no longer an empire. We will not be the empire we once were. We will not be bullying people. We've been demoted, just to make it clear. And that's what I'm talking about. 22 years before the fact, they encoded the event, which had to already be clearly planned. Uh, They recorded their album in Masonic temples that had been converted over. And I just want to open up that conversation. I don't know what you two might know about the band, which really does underscore the proof that's in the pudding here. It's funny you should bring them up because before you said Supertramp, I was thinking about that album cover. <laughs> it's, it's a hell of a thing. Yeah, it's predictive programming is what it is. And yep. the, the point that you made, Crow, about the planning, this is something that a lot of folks really don't understand. The planning is not done like day by day or week by week. They have things planned out you know, decades in advance, at least. Yes. And... uh that's why it's very difficult for folks to to get their heads wrapped around this because most people can't plan beyond a day or two or maybe even a week because of everything that goes on in their life. And then what people do is they take their own lives and they just extrapolate that and say, well, every everything works that way. And they don't understand that there is a controlling mechanism. There's a controlling infrastructure that controls the world. You know, I tried to explain to to my audience, we've got organizations like uh, the World Economic Forum, we have Tavistock, we have the Committee of 300, we have the Fabian Society, uh, we have the Rockefeller Foundation, we have the Bilderbergs, we have the Trilaterals, we have the Council of Foreign Relations, we have Davos. What do you think these organizations do? You think that, that they just create the buildings and, you know, they just play solitaire all day long. This internationalist structure is there for a reason, and it's because it's running the world, the whole facade that you think that your president is actually running something. I mean, it's even a bigger joke now with Joe Biden, right? I mean, But be that as it may, or that your prime minister, if you're out in Europe someplace, is actually calling the shots. I mean, you are very, very misguided, and you're really not awake, and you don't understand how the world really works. You know, so so taking it back to the Supertramp album again, you know, twenty something years ago, predictive programming, you know, and, and we have lots of examples like that. I mean, we have examples like that in in the Simpsons, for God's we do, sake. We do. <laughs> it, isn't it astonishing that the Simpsons gets history better than the evening news? But right. with with regard to Supertramp, I want to make the point of how some of this magic works. You bought the music, you loved the music, you poured your energy, your spirit into the people planning this event. And just to make a point, it's insulting. And it's insulting only for people who have woken up from the dream. Everyone else is considered profane, a sheep, whatever they might want to label them. If you look at the album cover, they've taken the Statue of Liberty and turned her into a waitress. Her name is Libby. Liberty is a word that is used heavily in the military. It has nothing to do with freedom. When I was in the Marine Corps, if I got liberty, I was informed how many hours of liberty I had, and then it was over. Right. The back of that album is about a meal. It's break fast. So 22 years, I think it was 22 years before the fact, they were announcing that they were going to break the fast and go open operational. 
Now, you will notice she's holding an orange juice. Orange is the only color that reduces numerically to 33. It also represents the sun, or maybe even, wait for it, the May sun. There is so much that has been put into this album work that you learned to love long before you comprehended, most still don't, that it was pre-echoing one of the most horrendous things that's ever happened to this country that put us on the trajectory of where we are now, a country that is facing cryptocurrency that is programmable, that will slave out everything you do. You can buy this. You can't buy this. You can go here. You can't go. That's where we're going. This is all based on the broken fast or the breaking of the fast to go operational. We're in the open. Everything we do now is on the evening news because these people are so freaking spellbound. They can't even distinguish their own index finger from their toe. These are the ideas behind it. But I want to make that point because Mike, you and I remember album covers. Jason, to some degree, you do too. It was a whole experience. That album meant so much and it had such an importance. But that artwork, when used to evil ends, we have given it our energy, haven't we? Yes, that's exactly right. And that's another thing I explained to my audience. There's two types of energy. There's your uh, your spiritual or non-physical energy, your consciousness, and then there's your physical energy. So they steal your non-physical or consciousness by having you focus on these bands or these entertainers and these celebrities. So as you're focused on them, in, in the land of occultism and magic and ritual, they're harnessing that energy. And it doesn't matter whether the audience believes that that actually takes place. This is what the priesthood, the magicians and the occultists believe. This is what they practice. So they're capturing your consciousness. They're capturing your thinking. They're capturing your focus and your concentration. And by doing that, they're able to steer you. Like Crow was just saying, you're looking at the album covers or even singing the songs because a lot of these songs have backmasking in them and, uh, Right. Uh, right. So when you're singing them and you're humming them in the song from the from the perspective of an occultist, you are engaged and continuing the ritual. Now, the physical energy that they're usurping from you would be you buying the records, buying their merch, going to the concerts, physical labor, physical labor, because you have to actually work. You have to physically go out and work to make a buck. And then you're taking the money that is left after they steal it through taxes and you're giving it back to them in the form of buying record CDs, DVDs, merchandise, and so on. And I have explained so many times, Pro and Jason, to, to my audience that we have to stop the, the idol worship because that's really what it is at the end of the day. Think of these rock stars and these entertainers and these celebrities um, they're an intermediary, right? They're like the lesser gods. And if you watch the um, the series American Gods, it talks about the new gods are the technology gods. And that's what they do. That's how they usurp your non-physical and your physical energy. It's, it's by pulling you into this pop culture, into social media, into the music and into the entertainment industry. And they, they pulled that. That show got too close, I think. They pulled that before right in the middle of its popularity. Yeah, after three seasons, it got pulled. And uh, But it was, in my opinion, it was a very important series. Yes. Because it talked about the old gods and the new gods, and the new gods are the technology gods. Right. 
And this is, this is what's playing out. No, it was a very important little piece for someone who I to see with. And it was so blatant that they were doing similar things to test how awake you are. They kept doing these drone shots or aerial shots where someone would be on blacktop that's all cracked. But if you were paying attention, you would realize that the cracks spell somewhere in America. They were being very specific. But one of the biggest things that came out of that that relates exactly to what Mike and I are talking about, stealing your energy, and actually it's not a theft, you're giving it. But I'll just call it stealing because you don't comprehend that you're in a transaction. So you are being duped. They did a, a god named Vulcan who did bullets and guns. He made them, manufactured them, and this is where they tipped their hat in a way that I've never seen it tipped before. One of the guys that came with the main god who was portraying Odin, an old god, he always carried a sledgehammer and he worked in a slaughterhouse killing pigs, hitting them in the head with a sledgehammer. Every one of those pigs was a sacrifice being collected, a blood ritual. Now, the guy who made the guns, they made the point by showing on the butt of the bullet where it might say Winchester was his claim. It had his little sigil, the little symbol, and his name. And uh, while the new god, where the old gods were saying, where can we get our sacrifices and our worship, he was living high on the hog because every one of those bullets has the potential to kill someone. And when it does, or it hurts someone, they collect the ritual blood sacrifice energy. And these are bridges that are so far for most people, but I'm glad you brought that up. Mike, is there anything you want to bring up when, when we come back in the second hour I'm going to bring up the idea that fame is on loan. I'm going to use prints, and then I'm going to delve further into the idea of worship that you just opened the door for. But is there anything else you'd like to get in the last few minutes of hour one? No, the the only thing I can think of, Crow, is when we talk about worship, I explain again to my audience that if you're going to invest your focus on someone, it needs to be yourself. Because you need to develop yourself as an individual. It's, it's a soul's journey. And your soul came here to have the experience and to learn. It's about soul development. And by doing what they're doing, the technology gods, what they're doing is that they're keeping you from realizing and manifesting who you are as an individual and as a sovereign soul. You know, I've said to folks, the controllers want you to focus on community. It's communal stuff. And when you do that without first developing the individual aspect of yourself, then you're going to have a weak community. So as an individual, you have to work on being creative, resilient, resourceful. And then when you have a creative, resilient, and resourceful number of individuals and they come together as a community, then your community reflects those attributes and those characteristics, and you're going to have a strong community. This is why they, all the time, they take the individual out of the equation. They don't want anybody talking about individual development or, or focus on individuality. They, they pour it all into the, the communal bucket. And that's why we're at where we're at today because we have very weak uh, communities, uh, whether it be, you know, local communities, national communities, worldwide communities, it, it really doesn't matter. Most people have lost their individual sovereignty and they're not coming from, from, from that perspective. And this is why we have the problems we have today because people are relying on people outside of them 
to fix the issues. So when you don't develop your individuality, what you're doing is you've actually given up your authority. You've disempowered yourself because you handed the authority over to somebody else outside of you. And when you do that, you empowered the people or the entities that are outside of you. So all the people who are on TV telling you what it is you should do and not do, what's safe and what's effective, all of that stuff, people who are following their leads, you have abdicated, you have given up your will, your authority, and your empowerment, and you handed it over to those types. You know, it's a good point because underneath it all, you've forgotten what applies to you. And what applies to you is the idea, and it's deeper than the idea of sovereignty. I am. You should think about that. You should go back to the Bible and read where that's said, and you should consider what it means. And then consider in every spiritual tradition that I think has value, you will find, don't go looking for the creator all over, look within. Right. And now think about what it means to say, I am. It's exactly what Mike said. That's why communism is such a difficult thing. And unfortunately, I've lived my entire life with nine of the pillars of communism in place in this country. People say what's coming, what they're going to try to do is some kind of a bizarre, extreme techno-communism. You know, it remains to be seen. But I now have many people who agree with me that are way more spiritually adept than I am that say what's about to happen is going to fail in the long run. We're going to wrap up our one here. When we come back, I'm going to open up with the idea that fame is on loan. A friend of mine named Dave J, who was one of the early voices online, he did not pull punches. He did not ever shy away from what he felt was right. He was censored off every platform all the time, and it never stopped. And he came up with an idea about fame that I have since furthered, but it's right. I know it's right. We're also going to outline what is worship. Do you have a good idea in your mind of what worship is? I'm going to get into this because Mike bringing up American gods, American gods put more on the table than I've ever seen any modern show put on the table. And then they cut it. They cut that umbilical cord right as it was picking up. Jason, anything you want to get in before I have Mike tell folks where they can find them? Well, I think the big thing we have to uh, really consider here is how bad the cult of celebrity has become. And the cult of celebrity was so big around the Beatles, just to use them as the ultimate example, that that mystique is still lasting to today. It is. It's it's constantly refostered. And with the new movie and all the AI nonsense, I am convinced that uh, there are portrayals of people like Lennon that were made by AI and inserted in there. I am convinced of it. Uh, whether I could ever prove it, probably not. Anyhow, Mike, why don't you tell folks where they can find you and your work, and then we'll prep up for hour two. Okay. I just want to say, uh, off of Jason's comment, the the cult of the Beatles, I can vouch that it's very much a well and alive. <laughs> you know, it's there, very strong. To reach me, contact me, uh, go to my hub website, sageofquay, S-A-G-E-O-F-Q-U-A-Y.com, and all of my links to my work, my music, and all that stuff is there. So it's one-stop shop. Right. There it is. We're going to wrap up our one of episode 496. We're going to take a few minutes to take a pee break and a coffee break, and we're going to come back and we're going to nail a important hour two. I'll put it that way. Uh, we've got the right people here to do it. With that, uh, you can catch the first hour of any episode at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. 
We have just syndicated the hour ones on the blockchain, believe it or not, on World Wide Web 3. Uh, was it Chat Garden? Do you remember the name, Jason? Oh, we're going to look that up again. Yeah, we're going to have to look that up. I can never remember. Anyhow, I'll put it out in hour two. With that, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And I hope to see you with membership on the other side for the full two hours. By the way, all members get access to Shoot the Moon, the two-hour film that Jason made about my telescope work. There it is. We'll see you shortly. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.